At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. A warm and fuzzy hello, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Heaps with myself, Greg Eubes Peters, and now part of the Neeson family and podcast, we've got a tremendous podcast for you, as in segment number two, we're going to be talking to Isabel Gonzalez. She does a great job following all things basketball over there at CBS Sports, taking a look at the women's game, taking a look at the men's game, taking a look at things in the college and the pro ranks. She is going to be out here in lovely Las Vegas taking a look at the Mountain West Tournament, the Pac-12 Tournament, so we're going to be talking a little bit about both of those. We're going to be mostly hitting upon the Mountain West Tournament, taking a look at teams out west that she is going to be very excited to take witness to this week, what to make out of some of the teams that are on the bubble in the Mountain West, taking a look at the entire landscape of that tournament. That is going to be a fun chat with Isabel in segment number two. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gnet underscore d1. Keep in mind letters EM. They mean does not matter as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you're at this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a fun day of college basketball Monday. I do have to do this a little bit in advance since the Greg Peterson experience. That is from midnight to 3 Eastern time. So let's take a look at what we've all been getting in college basketball. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. A pair of bids that get punched to the NCAA tournament as Furman was able to take down Chattanooga by a count of 88 to 79. This is a game where the opening total is 157 half. Closes 149.5, and if you got eight points of closing line value, well, it meant absolutely nothing because the game went over on all numbers. As Furman, they were able to get to the free throw line for 30 free throws. They went 24 of 30 at the charity stripe. You had Jalen Slauson contribute 20 points. And this is a Furman team that, if they are a 13 seed, I think that they could be relatively dangerous. This is one of the best offensive teams in all of college basketball. They've got some nice versatility. Meanwhile, would love to see Chattanooga in something like the Legends Classic, the CBI, something of that nature, because they had to play for much of conference play without Jake Stevens. The 7-footer had 25 points, 8 rebounds, went 2 of 6 from 3-point range. And Chattanooga's whole, they went 9 to 26 from 3-point range. But Furman, after they had their hearts ripped out last season in the SoCon tournament, 
They were able to get the job done this year, so they survive in advance. They are going to be going dancing. You've got Louisiana, who's also going to be going to the NCAA tournament. They take down South Alabama 71-66. to As South Alabama closes up shop, by the way, as a really good against the spread team. Hopefully, that's another team that we might be seeing in one of those ancillary tournaments as for South Alabama, I believe that they are now 20-11-1 against the spread, if my numbers are correct. So, they've been able to do a really nice job of being able to cash your tickets, actually, 21-12 and 12 against the spread, depending upon your closing numbers. Isaiah Moore did all that he could for South Alabama, 33 points, but South Alabama just 3-11 of 11 from 3-par range. Louisiana, they go 8-17 of 17 from 3-par range at Jordan Brown. 13 points and 16 rebounds in this contest as Louisiana wins a rebound battle by kind of 31 to 27. They play even up with the turnovers. So Louisiana, they survive, they advance, they make the NCAA tournament. When it comes to the Colonial, I'm doing this as you've actually got Towson up on Charleston at the half. We shall see what happens in half number two, but winner of that game is going to be playing against UNC Wilmington. They survive in advance against Hofstra. 79-73. They get the job done in overtime. Hofstra had covered all but three of their games in conference, by the way, prior to this one for Hofstra. They just weren't able to get things going in terms of the rebounding as UNC Wilmington plowed on the glass, winning that battle by a count of 43-31. 14 offensive rebounds for UNC Wilmington as Trezarian White, 21 points, 11 rebounds. He also did have seven turnovers in this game. That was a little bit less than savory, but for Aaron Estrada, needed a little bit more up around him, 25 points, six assists, five rebounds as UNC Wilmington. They get things done on the glass. They go just 7-22 for three-point range, but UNC Wilmington, they survive. They advance. They are going to be going to the CAA final. Oral Roberts survived a big scare from St. Thomas. Gives credit to St. Thomas, by the way. 24 months ago, this school was at the D2 level. They held in there against Oral Roberts. 70-65 to the final. Oral Roberts off with their three-point shooting. 6-25 from distance in this one, though. Max A. Smith, he was still a constant. 23 points. He goes 3-7 of seven from three-point range. But for St. Thomas, a combined 40 points out of Andrew Road and Brooks Allen. They were really able to keep this team lively. And for St. Thomas, they played even up on the glass, even with having to go up against 7'5 Connor Vanover. He had 17 points, 11 boards, 5 blocks. So, got to give credit where credit is due to the Tommies. Montana, they were able to get past Idaho State by a count of 83-74. to So, they're able to survive in advance. And McNeese State in an upset. They take down Nichols by a count of 77-71. And you do want to note that this Southland tournament, it is being played out there in Lake Charles, Louisiana. That is the home city of McNeese State. I believe that they are actually playing this on their natural floor. So, that has been helping them out quite a bit. And as I record this, right now St. Mary's is up on BYU 37-20 at the half. We're doing this before the Gonzaga game. But certainly I do think that it would be quite a surprise if we don't see St. Mary's versus Gonzaga one more time. That is one to get very much amped up about. And something that I know a lot of people have been amped up about is taking a look at totals in college basketball. My goodness, if you've been betting overs this year, you're doing great. How about if we look at the last 60 days in college basketball? The over is sitting at 54.4%. Last 60 days, 1,580 overs to 1,325 unders. No more home underdog trends for right now, just because, well, we aren't finding a lot of home teams, but last 30 days, over is hitting at a 55.8% clip, 759, and 602 is how things are going to the over. And in the time span, 
Favorites are hitting at about 54.5% over the last 30 days as well against the spread. So favorites have been able to have a nice run as well. Favorites overall in the last seven days, a little bit more pedestrian, 149, 146, and 8 against the spread. So it's been a pretty even split. But overs even in the last seven days where we've had a lot of conference tournament action, hitting at 55.6%, 165 to 132. And if you just take a look at the entirety of the season, overs now hitting at 52.3%. 2,784 overs, 2,540 unders, and this season, favorites are about as 50-50 as it gets. Favorites against the spread, 2,644, 2,647, and 103 against the spread. So, favorites and underdogs have not necessarily had big, giant trends, but overs certainly have, and a trend on this podcast is being able to spot great guests, and we certainly have one with Isabel Gonzalez. She does tremendous work over at CBS Sports, taking a look at the great game of basketball. She's out here in lovely Las Vegas, checking out the Pac-12 tournament, checking out the Mountain West tournament, and so much more. She is going to be joining me next right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hughes Peterson, now a part of the Mason Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Thank you, Las Vegas. For Chris Gessie, 
with myself, Greg Eats Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it's great to be joined by our guest, as Isabel Gonzalez does a great job writing over there at CBS Sports. I know that she covers all things basketball, but this time of year, it is college basketball season, and Isabel, she's going to be out here in Lovey Las Vegas this week, checking out the Mountain West Tournament. I know that she's doing some work with the Pac-12 Tournament. I know that she was doing a great job on the women's side of things, checking out the Pac-12 Tournament last week. As well, and you're able to follow Isabel on Twitter at C Isabel G. That is all together. So the letter C, her first name, Isabel, and then the letter G. And Isabel, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Always happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Great to have you aboard. And Isabel, I know that you came up before joining CBS Sports covering New Mexico. And what have you made out of this team this season? Because they were able to avoid really a doomsday first round matchup of the Mountain West tournament. They should be able to get themselves into at the very least day number two of this tournament. But it's been very fascinating to gauge them. And I feel like so much of this team is based around their backcourt because we saw what happened when Jalen House was out of the fold. So I do think that this is a dangerous team now that they've got all their pieces back in the fold and have been able to gain some confidence going into the Mountain West tournament. Yes, definitely. But I do feel like New Mexico can win this first game against Wyoming. But I do want to say that Wyoming could, you know, I wouldn't be completely shocked if they pulled an upset just because we have, we have kind of seen that from them lately. They can surprise a lot of people. That's kind of what the Mountain West is. And Wyoming, after they lost the guys from Los Angeles, they look a little bit different. Their chemistry looks a little bit different and things have just been clicking for them. Obviously, New Mexico is a stronger team right now, but yeah, the Lobos have had a very interesting season when they had that injury with Jalen House. It wasn't quite the same and to me, a lot of that comes because they were winning. They were doing really well beginning of the season, but you learn a lot about a team when they lose. You have to really see how they bounce back after that and I don't think they were too sure about how to do that because it was a lot of mental errors to watch some of the games and once they found themselves kind of on the wrong side of the score they really struggle with that of course defensively as well they're a good scoring team but defensively it's one of those teams that is obviously improving but as of late they haven't been as good as the beginning of the season and a lot of that has to do with the strength of other teams in the Mountain West Conference because it is a tough conference right now but yeah, Richard Pertino's doing a good job. Obviously, big improvement from before. You do mention that there are some teams in this conference that are surging and a few that are declining. To me, it just feels like San Diego State coming into this tournament, they're playing the best basketball of anyone. They enter having a really nice win streak. It's a San Diego State team that as well, I've been saying this throughout the year, it felt like they lost their identity a little bit when they were playing in Maui, when they were playing some of those non-conference games because they were playing significantly faster than they're used to. They have since really slowed things down. They've gotten back to playing crisp defense. I don't know what you've made out of San Diego State, but I feel like in recent weeks they've gotten back to the roots, and that has allowed them to really fire on all cylinders and enter playing their best basketball going into the Mountain West Tournament. Yes, absolutely. And something you can definitely say about San Diego State is that they're a very consistent team in the Mountain West every year because a lot of teams have up and down years, but Brian Dutcher is doing a really good job of just you know keeping them more or less always at the top of the conversation. And they are very good defensively. And you're right, whenever they kind of move away from their style, because Brian Dutcher has a very specific style, when they move away from that, they struggle a bit. But you can tell they're a team that knows how to win. Because even that game against like New Mexico, um, that was pretty crazy. But, you know, they still pull the win. So you got to 
it, even if it's not a pretty one, you got to make it happen. And San Diego State, that's why they're good. Not just this year, but every year. They're consistent. And that's the culture. Yep, it certainly is the culture. As Isabel Gonzalez, who does great work over at CBS Sports, is joining me on the podcast. And Isabel, when I take a look at the Mountain West, the team that, honestly, I take a look at and I feel like they might be able to make the biggest run on the national landscape is Boise State. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on this Boise State Broncos team. Obviously, they had a little bit of a rough go of it when they played against San Diego State this season. They lost by 20 the first time around, got them back in very late February. But with this Boise State bunch, as long as they're able to keep Marcus Shaver Jr. healthy, and as long as he's not missing six free throws like he did at the end of the New Mexico game, I know that there are some people that are still very salty about that, but as long as that is happening, I do think that this is a Boise State team with a lot of upside, a team that was able to knock off Texas A&M in the non-conference portion of the schedule in the state of Texas, a team that's really been able to bear down on defense. I'm not sure what you've been seeing out of this Boise State team, but it feels like they've got all the goods. And what prevented them from being able to advance in the NCAA tournament last year in rough shooting, I feel like they've really rectified that this season. Yes, I agree. And you pointed out defense. They're actually even doing better than San Diego State right now. They are the top defensive team in the Mountain West at the moment. And shooting-wise, I mean, they're not at the bottom of the offense. They're kind of in the middle. They're a pretty solid team. I believe their margin, their scoring margin, it's third best right now. So pretty solid team overall. I do agree that they can make a run because of that. You need to have a team that's good on both sides of the ball. And like you said, they've had good wins this season and even though it hasn't been perfect they've just shown they can kind of fight through everything they certainly have and i do think that the team that's most bubblicious entering into this mountain west tournament as well because there's been so much debate as to how many bids the mountain west is going to be able to get in the ncaa tournament is Nevada, and we are not going to be seeing Nevada until Thursday, but they've got such an interesting matchup coming up against San Jose State because i think when you normally say oh nevada versus san jose state on a neutral court, you think, oh, Nevada's going to be able to win this game very convincingly, but I really like the way that San Jose State is coming into this Mountain West tournament. We just alluded to Boise State. They knocked them off in overtime. Last time these two teams played, San Jose State had a little bit of a rough one against Nevada, scored just 51 points in that game, but ever since then, San Jose State has not lost. I think Tim Miles might be doing one of the most underrated coaching jobs in all of college basketball. What do you make out of this game? Because I think Nevada should be able to pull it off. But with the way that San Jose State is playing right now, I wouldn't be stunned if this could be a little bit of an upset special. And if Nevada loses this game, they're probably heading to the NIT. Yeah, and I do believe um, Nevada won the two games against San Jose State. But I, I really wouldn't be shocked. I feel like it's a pretty even matchup because San Jose State, it is a lot stronger team. This conversation would have happened two years ago probably we would have said yeah Nevada has it in the bag but also if you think about it San Jose State wouldn't even be playing that day they would have been playing the day before Nevada has really gotten it together I think the last couple seasons they struggle with that and they were sort of like in rebuilding mode a lot but this year things are clicking better and you know good for them but San Jose State obviously biggest jump in the Mountain West Tim Miles is doing a terrific job And you have guys that really bought into the program, and that's been the difference. Omari Moore, absolutely talented player. He has to carry the team sometimes, but at the same time, I feel like it's a little bit effort of everybody. They are the top rebounding team, and to me, rebounds, that shows effort. That's a stat that you might not be the top scorer, 
but you're going to fight for that rebound. And that's kind of the mentality for San Jose State. So it's four versus five. Obviously, the names like Nevada versus San Jose State, usually that would sound like Nevada would win, but this year, San Jose State could do it. I totally agree with you. And I take a look at the middle of the Mountain West, and I think that is relatively on par with another tournament that I know that you're going to be checking out this week in the Pac-12 tournament, as that's also going to be one that gets started on Wednesday. And I take a look at all those teams. They're going to be playing in day one, Colorado-Washington, Cal, Washington State, Utah, Stanford, Oregon State, and Arizona State. And really, aside from Arizona State, who's been rock solid on defense, they get that big, giant shot against Arizona. I really don't see a team that really impresses me. Utah has really fallen off the map. Stanford, they've gotten it together a little bit more, but they've lost 18 games. When I take a look at the middle of the Mountain West and the middle of the Pac-12, I'd probably give the Pac-12 a little bit of an edge, but you wipe out those top two teams in UCLA and Arizona, and I don't think that you're looking at two conferences that are very far away from each other in terms of talent. And honestly, I would say the bottom teams of the Pac-12, and Cal especially, I mean, that's actually worse a little bit more than some of the bottom feeders out there in the Mountain West. Yeah, I think the Mountain West and the Pac-12, it can be pretty similar sometimes. Um, I know Pac-12 is supposed to be a bigger conference, but honestly, Mountain West have been, has been a lot more fun this season. And a lot of seasons, honestly, Mountain West, you can have a lot of strong teams. And in a way, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot because they all kind of beat each other. And that screws up the resume. Like Wyoming screwed up a lot of resumes for sure. But the Pac-12, especially this year, you have the top teams just kind of dominating. In a way, it, that's less exciting to watch. You know, you got UCLA, Arizona, and then USC. And then there's kind of everybody else. Could there be surprises? Sure, this is March. Although they are comparable when it comes to upsets and just what's more fun, you know, for basketball watching purposes, that'll be the Mountain West. And I do think that you're going to be traded to two very good teams out in the Pac-12 tournament as well. I hope that we're able to get a good matchup between UCLA and Arizona at some point as the two te- times that these two teams squared off during the regular season. It was rock solid. I know that some people were not necessarily too happy about the officiating on Saturday when UCLA squared off against Arizona, but I think that those are clearly the top two teams out on the West Coast with a little bit of kudos being thrown to St. Mary's, who, unless an upset happens, they're going to be competing in the WCC final on Tuesday, but I really do take a look at UCLA and Arizona, and I just don't think that there's a single team out there in the Pac-12 that could really give either of these teams really a run for their money until they meet up with one another, aside from perhaps USC, because I just take a look at these two teams, and I think forget the West Coast perspective of things. Just nationally, these are two teams that I think are the least prone to an upset early on during the NCAA tournament because these teams have so much good rebounding and they find so many ways to be able to win games. I agree. And just real quick, you did mention Sam Mary's, and I'm glad you brought that up because if we're going to compare conferences, the West Coast Conference is also one that often gets kind of overlooked because Gonzaga had been dominating so much. But Sam Mary's, it was always kind of like Gonzaga and Sam Mary's, but Sam Mary's was kind of like a far number two, you know, compared to Gonzaga. But this year, obviously, they fought a lot more and they everything just clicked a lot more. And they're a very strong team. So, you know, comparing Pac-12 and Mountain West, sure. But I would say, like, the West Coast can definitely be compared to Mountain West. And this year, overall, not, not even just these conferences, I feel like this is going to be a really fun year for the tournament because anybody can win it. I think there are years where you just have your top four teams that you know are going to make it far. But this year... I have no idea who's going to win it. And that's what's really cool about March. 
And here's my question for you with regards to WCC. Do you feel like there's a little bit of a copycat effect that is taking place in the conference? Because one thing that I noticed is that aside from St. Mary's, every single team in the WCC, they decided to play at pretty much warp speed. And I think we would both agree. The defense of the WCC was not necessarily too terrific. I do agree in terms of the talent-wise, it was certainly there. And boy, were those games fun to watch between the likes of Santa Clara and Portland, and those two teams can put it up. But I feel like a lot of teams in the WCC right now are trying to emulate Gonzaga, and I think that we really saw that in the style of play in that they were playing so much faster than I can really ever remember some of these teams playing. Like Loyola Marymount a few years ago was one of the bottom teams in terms of total possessions per game in all of college basketball, and they have since really sped things up. Yeah, and obviously it's it's really hard to copy the exact model that Gonzaga uses because a lot of what Mark Few does is IQ. Those players have to be very, very smart. They have to know what comes next without the coach having to tell them. And like to copy it exactly, maybe not quite, but you're right. Everybody kind of made a jump, and that that's pretty common, I would say. You know, you look at the top team in your conference, and how do you get close to kind of succeeding like that? It probably is. You're probably right. They might be copying it, which, you know, it's fair game. That's what makes it exciting, though, because, again, before the West Coast, you kind of had Gonzaga, maybe St. Mary's, and maybe you throw in a third team once in a while, but... This year, it is a lot more fun, and it kind of mimics what's going on everywhere, which is, you know, there can be upsets anytime. Oh, there can be upsets at any time, and I just noticed that scoring across the board in college basketball was a little bit up as well. And, Isabel, you're going to be out here in Las Vegas this week. I know they're checking out a couple of conference tournaments. I know that we've hit on a bunch of teams. Who's a team or two that you're just most looking forward to seeing whether they're going to be taking place in the NCAA tournament, whether they're on the bubble fighting for an NCAA tournament spot, or, hey, maybe they're going to be missing out on the NCAA tournament unless they win their conference tournament, but you feel like they're starting to perhaps turn a little bit of a corner. We already talked about San Jose State, but I got to be honest, that's probably one of the teams I'm most excited about at the moment. I don't know how long Tim Miles is going to stay in the conference because he's improving it so much, but um, I talked to Amari Moore a couple weeks ago, and he said their goal was to, at the beginning of the season, they set out the goal of being top five in the Mountain West and making a postseason tournament. And they did it. I'm pretty sure they can probably compete at least in the NIT. So that's going to be really exciting. It's always cool to see teams jump like that. Like Wyoming had that big jump last season. And of course, this year they're down. But it's exciting to see where Tim Miles can take this team. That's definitely one of them. I would like to see Sam Mary's too. You know, they competed so strongly against Gonzaga. They can be better than Gonzaga. They've shown that. So that's another fun team that, although they were strong, like I don't want to say they weren't a strong team before, this year they're really kind of, you know, making a statement that it's not just Gonzaga's conference. No doubt about it. I mentioned it with all the teams in the WCC playing faster. All but one, St. Mary's. They are mm-hmm. zagging while everyone else is zigging, and they're doing an amazing job of it. And, Isabel, I know this week you're going to be covering all the hoops action out here in Las Vegas. There's a lot of tournaments that are going down. We touched upon the WCC tournament. That final is happening on Tuesday. The Pac-12 tournament, no doubt. That's going to be a big one, but I know that the Big West, it's actually a few miles away from where I live out here in Henderson, Las Vegas. We've got the WAC Conference Tournament that is going to be going down. 
Heck, I'm sure that there's going to be other funky things that are going to be happening as well. You're going to be in the middle of all the action. So let the good people at home know what's all on tap for you and how people can follow along with everything that you're doing on social media and other platforms. Yeah, so this week I'll be checking out everything in Vegas and, of course, checking out everything that's going on across the nation virtually because this is going to be a really fun year for both men's and women's basketball. I just covered the Pacto Women's Championship. That was a really fun game as well, so... And if you're a basketball fan, check out the women's side, too, because that's always really cool as well. That's what I'm going to be doing all basketball in March, and I'll be heading to the Final Four as well. And you can check out my stuff at cvsports.com. You can check out my Twitter at CIsabelG. Isabel does a great job of covering the game of college basketball, does a great job on the men's side, does a great job on the women's side, does a great job on the professional front as well. It's always great to get her insights on the podcast, and she's going to be covering all the action. This is happening with these conference tournaments all week long from Las Vegas. A big thanks to Isabel for joining me on Coast to Coast Supes, part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time to podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Kelsey Kelsey with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Great to get Isabel Gonzalez aboard. Always great to have her on as she, like myself, is out here in lovely Las Vegas for the week covering the Mountain West Tournament. I know that she's going to be covering a few others as well while she's out here, and she does great work covering the game that we all know and love of basketball. So a big thanks to her for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore D1. We are going to be going in the last week's rotation order. This is pretty much in order of tip time with regards to conference tournaments. So the A-10 is first, ACC, WAC. So the earliest tip time game, we just go in conference order from there, which honestly I think is best. And then the two conferences at the bottom are the smallest conferences in the Southland along with the America East and then also the NEC Championship as well. So let's get things started with 601-602 on the betting board. UMass is playing against Richmond. This is out at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. UMass is a one and a half point underdog with your total 142. I did set my total 137. I'm going to be willing to dive under. Got a Richmond team that ranks in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. UMass overall for the season is a top 100 team in terms of total possessions per game, but we have noticed that this team has throttled down quite a bit without Noah Fernandez in the fold. That has been causing them to have their issues, not just with regards to their tempo, but it has also caused for their defense to falter a little bit more. This is a UMass team that is barely within the top 125 in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis. There was a time earlier this year where they were in the top 65, and it just has been Murphy's Law for this UMass team, but the good news is they do get back their leader in rebounds of Matt Cross, who's been able to give you 12.5 points, 6 boards, does shoot 35% for 3, but played just 20 minutes in the last game against St. Bonaventure at five points. It was a winning effort, but certainly didn't have the world's biggest contributions for UMass. Who you're really going to be looking to in this game is the guys that have been constants for this team. DeAndre Dominguez, TJ Weeks, who both give you 8.9 points per contest. They combine for about eight rebounds. Dominguez has been able to shoot 41% from three-par range. RJ Luis has been dealing with a little bit of an injury as well, but he should be good to go, giving you 11.5 points. Shoots in mid-30s from three-par range. For UMass team that overall, they shoot 33.6% from three, and they do turn the ball over 14 times per game. Richmond, not necessarily a team that's going to light it up from three, and a team that doesn't have a lot of guard play. Among their top five scorers, they've got one guy that shoots above 31% from three-point range, but they're going to have the best overall player out there on the floor, and that would be Tyler Burton. Burton has been able to give you 18.5 points, 7.5 boards, seal and a half per contest. Neil Quinn is someone that is 7 feet tall, is able to give you 2.8 assists. Nine and a half points, four and a half boards. Isaac Bigelow is able to give you five and a half rebounds. So that is big, but I do think the ancillary guards are going to be able to do just enough in this game. Jason Nelson, eight points, two assists. You've got Jason Roche and Andre Gustafson that both combine to shoot about 38% from three-point range. Just due to attrition, UMass doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth, and as a result, we have seen this UMass team start to falter quite a bit with their offense. It's a bunch that they have scored 72 points or fewer in four of their last five games, going up against a low and slow Richmond team that they themselves have scored 67 points or fewer, and this being an 8.30 a.m. Pacific, 11.30 a.m. Eastern time game, I do think that is going to be a little bit lower scoring, but I default to the team with 
just more depth and the best overall player in Richmond. I did set them as a three-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take Richmond in this spot. And with this total, set it at a 137. Also looking under. 603, 604 on the betting board. It is Loyal Chicago, and they're playing against a Joe. St. Joe's hopes to not be average Joe's as they are a two-point favorite. And your total on this game, it is 143.5, and it's a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to back St. Joe's. I did set them as a three-point favorite, and St. Joe's in both matchups this year, they were able to take both of them. So, this is not necessarily a survey matchup for a loyal Chicago team that, man, it's hard to say it, but they're outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I remember when this team was one of the most awesome defenses in the country. Now they're 277th in the country, and it's not that St. Joe's is necessarily the 2000 Baltimore Ravens or anything like that. They're 201st in the country, but with St. Joe's, you've also got better headline scores for the team as you get right around 19.5 points per game out of Eric Reynolds. He's been able to shoot 38.5% from three. And then Cam Brown chips in there 13.5 points, 5.9 rebounds per game. They have been dealing with a pair of injuries. Ajikpe, Obiana, Longcapper, Kranzic. But even with those injuries, Loyal Chicago is not going to be able to take full advantage as Loyal Chicago only has one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. And that'd be Philip Olsen, who's been a nice at sheet suffer for this team. He's been able to supply the team with about 13.5 points, a little bit over 5.5 rebounds per game, but it's also a loyal Chicago team that is a mid-tempo team with 15 turnovers per game. They've rectified this a little bit, but they're still a bottom 25 team. In terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, they don't shoot it terribly from three-point range. Out of their top four scorers, they all shoot at least 34.3% from three. As well, they do shoot 33.6% from distance with Braden Norris supplying one points, four assists, seal per contest. But, I mean, other than Olsen, you've got one guy that gives you north of 3.8 rebounds per game at Thomas Welch, who supplies 4.2 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, you've got a St. Joe's team that has been able to get good contributions out of some like a Lynn Greer. 12 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, seal per game. Uh, their top 3 scores, they all supply at least a seal per contest. Now, St. Joe's themselves do turn the ball over a little bit over 13 times for contest. St. Joe's a little bit more up-tempo than Loyal Chicago. Loyal Chicago just outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. St. Joe's just outside the top 100, but I do think that in the end, St. Joe's going to be able to get it done both times that these two teams played. St. Joe's won the game and won the game rather convincingly. The last win was 83-71. to First time these two teams met up in January, it was 86-55. to I don't think that we're going to see any sort of a double-digit differential in this one, but I set St. Joe's as a three-point favorite. Here are two. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Heck, by the way, the last time these two teams played, Loyal Chicago lost that game while shooting 9 of 23 from three, so I don't think that they're going to be as warm with their shooting in this game. Did set my total at 139, diving under, and willing to lay it with St. Joe's. 605-606 on the betting board, Rhode Island, and LaSalle do battle out there at Barclays Center with LaSalle being a one-point favorite in your total 139. I did set my total at 135.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under. Rhode Island, a relatively mid-tempo team, but they're dealing with the loss of Brayon Freeman, and without Freeman, this offense just has not been very good at all. They have scored 71 points or fewer in regulation of all but one of their games without him. They had an overtime game that they played against George Washington, and they put up 71 in regulation against the George Washington team, and it's one of the worst defenses in all of college basketball. It's all been left to Ishmael Leggett, who's been solid, and I will say, each of the top three scorers for Rhode Island, I'll give between 5 and 6.4 rebounds per game, and Ishmael Leggett, Jalen Carey, along with Malik Martin. These three guys have been able to combine for about 
3.2 rebounds per game. Gary's able to give you 10 points. Throws in there a steal per game. Look at though. Two and a half assists, 5.8 rebounds, 16 and a half points. Steal and a half per contest. Shoots 33% from 3-4. A Rhode Island team that is shooting 39.8% from the floor. They turn the ball over 14 times per game. They shoot 30.7% from three-point range. Alex Tachuku has been able to give you about three and a half to four rebounds per game, but he hasn't necessarily done the world's greatest job for a Rhode Island team that's looking to play a little bit more up-tempo, right around 130th in the country in terms of total possessions brain. We'll sound right on par with that tempo. They're more around 149th than for Rhode Island. They've been a little bit of a better defensive team this year, 127th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And away from home, they are giving up 1.4 points fewer per 100 possessions than they are at home. But it's a LaSalle team that I do think is going to be able to find some cracks in this defense as it is a Rhode Island team that they themselves have now given up at least 69 points so far their last five games. Well, you've got a LaSalle team that they do come in on a five-game slide, but they've gotten to at least 73 points in three of their last four games. And they've got some good backcourt play. Khalil Brantley, 14 points, four assists, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. All in all, LaSalle is shooting 34.5% from distance with Josh Nickelberry, Jamari Brickus combining for 20.6 points. They combine to shoot about 39.5% from three. They need to get more out of the Drame brothers. Fusani Drame, nine points, five and a half rebounds per game. Hassan, six and a half points, four boards. They haven't really shot it well from three, but you do have someone like an Anwar Gill who's able to give you two and a half assists per game. Kid that has been impressive with me, Deshaun Shepard. He missed quite a few games early on during the season, but he's been able to emerge for 26 points, 13 rebounds in the team's last three games, and coming off of a four-block performance in the team's last game, as well as a six-foot-five little bit of a jitterbug player with Rhode Island. The loss of Freeman certainly put them behind the eight ball. Now, it is a LaSalle team that ranks right around 254th in the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis, but I do think that they're going to buckle down against a Rhode Island team that has been completely rudderless since Freeman left the program. I did set this line at three and a half. I'm going to be one to lay it with LaSalle, and I think that Rhode Island going to get held down with their offense because without Freeman, they haven't gotten anything going. So I'm at 135 and a half. I'm diving under, and I'm going to lay it with LaSalle. Now we head to the ACC tournament out in Greensboro, North Carolina. 607-608 on the board. Florida State and Georgia Tech do battle. Georgia Tech is a one-point favorite, and your total is 146.5. This opened up a pick'em, and I think this is moving the wrong way. I did set Florida State as a one-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them. Both of these teams have been dreadful with their defense, especially Florida State. I mean, with Georgia Tech, you give them credit because the team is still giving you some effort. They are tier on 23rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Florida State has been much more dreadful with their defense ranking 326th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they've got a trio that combines for about 40 points per game as Caleb Mills, Darren Green Jr., Matthew Cleveland. These guys have very good top-end talent. Cleveland has gone off for so many double-doubles this year. 14 points, 7 at boards. She's 35% from three. Green is more of your sharpshooter, shooting 90% the free line, 36.7% from three. Two assists, 13 half points per game. And then Caleb Mills, more of the floor general. 1.4 seals, 3.4 assists, 13 points per game. Not necessarily much of a three-point shooter. And then Jalen Worley helps facilitate the offense. He's been able to give the team a little bit over three assists per game. I think the big key is the big guys down low. Getting Bob and Miller going, he really hasn't contributed too much. Got off to a little bit of a late start to the season. Dehe McLeod, who's 7 for 4, has not been able to get out there on the floor either. So that is certainly set Florida State behind the eight ball. Meanwhile, for Georgia Tech, 
You've really got two guys that are able to give you double figures, and Miles Kelly, along with Lance Terry. Terry's been able to come on towards back half of the season, averaging a little bit over 10 points per contest, and has been on a nice little burner run. He's put up 17-plus points in each out of the team's last three games. He's had 14-plus points in five out of the team's last six. With Kelly, he's been the main concept for this team, 14 points per game, and to the credit of Georgia Tech, they don't beat themselves with turnovers. Only about 10.9 turnovers per game. It's a Georgia Tech team that plays a little bit more slowly, while Florida State is a bit more of a mid-tempo team. Georgia Tech right around 204th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Florida State hovering more around 148th, but for Georgia Tech, you just really don't have anyone else that's really able to take over the game. You do have quite a few guys like Javon Franklin, Kyle Sturvent, who are able to give you 8.5, 9.5 points per game with Franklin, 7.5 boards, a little bit over a block per contest, but I do think that the top end of Florida State is going to be able to rise up. Has been held down recently with their offense, scoring 70 points or fewer in four of their last five games, and to the credit of Georgia Tech, they do come in winners of four of their last five. Keep in mind, one of those wins was against Florida Tech, so technically they've won three out of their last four games against C1 competition, but in that run, they did give up 76-plus points in two of those games as well, so a very interesting ordeal in which something's got to give. I did sell my total at 142. I do think that this being out there at Greensboro and this being the early game in the ACC tournament, it is going to cause for a few bricks, so looking at the under, and I do think that Florida State wins out with their top-end talent, except Florida State as a two-point favorite, so we'll take them as a very small money line underdog. 609, 610 on the bang board. Boston College is going to be playing as Louisville. Louisville's an underdog of six points with your total between 135 and a half and 136. I'm going to be taking Louisville. I set Boston College as a four and a half point favor. With Boston College, they've been able to get a lot in the post. Out of Quinton Post, he's been able to give you 16 points as a seven footer. He's been able to shoot in the mid 30s from three point range. Problem is, he was limited to three minutes in the team's last game against Georgia Tech. I do think that he's going to go in this game, but I do not think that he's going to be 100%. He's already missed 13 games this season due to injury, so that is a big, giant issue. You've got Wacky Zacky and Jaden Zachary along to Mir Langford. These two guys have been able to supply a combined about 17 points per game with Langford dealing with his own injuries. Makai Ashton Langford, the other of the Langfords, nearly three assists, you know, per contest, but Boston College as a whole, they shoot 32% from three. Boston College has cranked up their tempo just a little bit as... In terms of total possessions per game, this team is hovering more around about 248th in the country. Louisville may have been a relatively mid-tempo team all season long. They've been throttling down a little bit here in recent games, down to about 255th in the country with this regard. And you'd expect both teams to be a little bit better on defense. Not the case. Boston College 209th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis, and Louisville has been dreadful all season long. This Louisville team is in the bottom 30 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. 354th if you want to get exact, but for Louisville, they have been able to cover a few spreads. They haven't been getting a lot of outright wins. They're 4-27, but you know what? They've been able to hold in games, and we have noticed that the offense has been held down recently. 62 points for fear in three of the last four games, with the lone exception being 67 against Georgia Tech, but with Quinn Post being injured, LL probably becomes the best scorer in this game. 17.5 points, 4.5 assists. She's about 32% for three. All in all, Louisville shooting 33% for three, but since the turn of the calendar, they've been shooting closer to 35% from three-point range. Brandon Unley, Hatfield, Jalen Withers, both of these guys give you right around 5.3 rebounds per game. They go up against Boston College team that really, aside from TJ Bickerstaff, who's been able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game, aside from Post, you really don't have a lot of rebounding with this team either. Both of these teams have been rather pathetic all season long. For Boston College, they were getting on a little bit of a run, but I mean, so much of that was based around Quentin Post with him dealing 
dealing with a little bit of an injury. Once again, I think that he goes, but I don't think that he's going to be 100%. I think Louisville is going to be able to hold in this game. I do think that we are going to be seeing some, shall we say, rough offense in this game. When these two teams hooked up in January, Boston College got the job done by kind of 75 to 65 in a game where the two teams want to combine 17 of 40 from three with this being on a neutral court. I certainly don't think that's going to be the case once again. Post was the top scorer in that game with 22 points, six rebounds. Take away some of that production. I do think that Louisville holds in this game. I set my line at four and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Louisville. I did set my total at 135 and a half. Pair of dreadful offenses, but a pair of dreadful defenses as well. So at 136 or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under and the points with Louisville. 611, 612 on the betting board. Virginia Tech is playing against Notre Dame. Notre Dame is an underdog of seven points, and your total on this game is between 144 and 144 and a half. And 144 and a half is my buy point on the under. If we get below that, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I was seeing a 145 a little bit earlier, and that'd be a buy point for me on the under, but I'm currently seeing a lot of 144, so I'll be letting it marinate in the AM, but at the current number, I would be looking a little bit more at the under, but that said, we're Virginia Tech. I did set them as an eight-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Virginia Tech. I think that this is just a bad matchup for Notre Dame. The last time these two teams played, Notre Dame lost on their home floor by kind of 93 to 87. And in that game, you just saw Grandpa Sile take over 33 points, seven rebounds. He won three of seven from three. And Notre Dame lost that game on their home floor by six while shooting 13 of 30 from three-point range and 55% from the floor while being able to also have just six turnovers in that game. And Notre Dame, they play smart basketball on offense. They shoot from three-point range about 36% from distance. They turn the ball over 8.8 times for contest. They're a bottom 40 team in terms of total possessions per game. The problem is Notre Dame is one of the most putrid defenses in the country despite their slow, grimy style. Notre Dame is 319th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. And this is a Virginia Tech team that they showed it off in the first game and they'll show it off once again. This team has been awful on defense as well. They're 179th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis, giving up right around nine points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. As for Notre Dame, you've got a quadrant of guys JJ Starlin, Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, Nate Leshevsky, that all give you at least 11 points per game. Goodwin and Starlin. Both about 11 to 11.5 points per game. Goodwin shoots 38.5% for three with five rebounds per contest. Ryan, two and a half assists, four boards, 12 points, shoots 34.5% for three. Nate Leshevsky, seven boards, 14 points per game, but had no answer for Grandpa Sile in game number one, who's been able to average 16.5 points, five and a half boards. She's 40% for three. Virginia Tech as a whole, they only turn the ball over 9.9 times per game. They shoot 36.5% from three-point range, and they facilitate by committee with Sean Padula and Justin Mutz being able to combine for 8.6 assists per contest. They combine for a little bit over 28 points per game. Mutz is able to give you 7.5 boards. He and Padula both shoot 35% from three, and then Hunter Couture has also been able to shoot 42% from the outside as well. This team has been missing Darius Maddox for quite some time. He's been out since late January, but has really slowed them down for Virginia Tech. I do think that they're going to be able to do a better job of hitting the glass against an Notre Dame team that really doesn't have any sort of a bench to speak of, that it's been very costly for them. I do think that defense is not going to be at a premium, but both of these teams are two of the slowest in all of college basketball, and we have been seeing this Notre Dame team just not getting anything going on offense. 64 points or fewer in four of their last five games. 
Meanwhile, Virginia Tech showing a pulse on defense. They gave up 54 and 60 points to Florida State and Louisville. Granted, two terrible teams, but I do think that Virginia Tech started to bear down a little bit more, and I do think that Notre Dame just has pretty much mailed in the season with this being the last ride for Mike Bray. So I'm going to be willing to lay it with Virginia Tech. Did set them as an eight-point favorite. And set my total at 144, so anything above 144, dive in under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Virginia Tech. Now we head to lovely Las Vegas for the WAC tournament. 613-614 on the betting board. Cal Baptist is going to be playing against Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian between a one-point underdog and a pick'em. Your total is between 139.5 and 140. I did set Abilene Christian as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them in this spot. Abilene Christian is a team that is going to gamble for seals. They are in the top 15 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. Yet, despite that, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it hasn't necessarily yielded the world's greatest results as Abilene Christian clocking in at 270th nationally, and they're giving up about 10.6 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home for this Cal Baptist team. They've honestly been relatively solid with their defense, saying the ninth in the country turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they do not come in in good form. Cal Baptist in the bottom one are in terms of total possessions per game, and yet they have given up 70-plus points at each other last three games, 80-plus in two of those. Abilene Christian, meanwhile, they've been able to do a little bit of a better job recently. 72 points or fewer surrendered in their last two games. They also had that double overtime game against Steven F. Austin, so even though they gave up 91 points, keep in mind, there were 10 more minutes played in that game as well, so I take that with a little bit more of a grain of salt then. For Abilene Christian, it's a team that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. They've got six different guys that give you between 8.5 and 11 points per game. Nobody gives you more than 11 points per game, but all these guys make contributions and they shoot it well as a committee from three-point range. They shoot about 35.5% from three-point range. They've got essentially six different guys that see meaningful minutes that average at least 6.3 points per game that all shoot at least 35% from three-point range. Now, a big bugaboo for them is that they don't have a guy that gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game, and that would be Joe Pleasant, but they do have five separate guys that give you more than three rebounds per contest. Meanwhile, for Cal Baptist, Darren Armstrong, he's able to go off for a triple-double on any given night. 11.4 points, 4.9 assists, 4.5 rebounds, but and Cal Baptist has so many guys that just don't fit in the system. Joe Kitana was a great sharpshooter at Loyola Marymount. Blondo Chiquenio was a good shooter at New Hampshire. These two guys are combining for 13 points, and they're both shooting below 30% from three. You can tell that they're completely out of rhythm. Hunter Goodrick, 8.5 points, 6.5 boards. He's been able to shoot 46% for three. Riley Batten is batting down the hatches with 9.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, but this team doesn't force any turnovers whatsoever, so a little bit of a bugaboo for Abilene Christian in that they do turn the ball over about 12.5 to 13 times per game. That is not going to be unearthed in this spot, and you saw it the last time these two teams played. Abilene Christian went on the road they pounded Cal Baptist 87-71 now. I don't think Abilene Christian is going to go 11-20 of 20 from three-point range like they did the first time around, but they were able to win the rebound battle in that one. Cal Baptist, they weren't able to force turnovers on Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian won the turnover battle by two. I think that Abilene Christian is able to do the same here in a Cal Baptist system that they've got a bunch of guys that are not suited for playing at a slow style, and I feel like that has really been unraveling. I did set my total at a 130 and I do think that things are going to be a little bit more up-tempo, but I just think that Cal Baptist can have a tough time putting the biscuit in the basket as they have been held to 71 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. Meanwhile, you've got an Abilene Christian team that they themselves have had a little bit of a rough time with their offense. 
offense as well. So diving under, and I'm going to be willing to take Abilene Christian as I think that they win the turnover battle in this one. 615-616 on the board. It is Grand Canyon, and they're going to be playing against UT Arlington. The Mavericks are an eight-point underdog, and your total on this game is 135. And with Grand Canyon, I did set them as a favorite of seven points. So I'm going to be willing to take the eight, seeing a straight eight and a half out there with our good friends in UT Arlington. UT Arlington has been struggling with their defense, but with UT Arlington, they've actually been better with their defense when they've been away from home rather than when they have been at home. They're 222nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 0.9 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're in a road slash record environment rather than when they are at home. And for Grand Canyon, the defense has just completely come unhinged. They were one of the best defenses in all of college basketball last year. Started out really strong, and they've been able to get back to their roots a little bit more. For Grand Canyon, they have given up 65 points or fewer in, in D1 competition. Two out of their last three games. Overall, three out of their last four. I don't think we can really count a game against Park University of Arizona, though. But for Grand Canyon overall, they've given up at least 69 points. And now 10 out of their last 14 games. Meanwhile, for UT Arlington, they have given up at least 69 points in each of their last five games as well. And it is a UT Arlington team that has had a rough go of it with their offense. But you know that they're finding a little bit of three-point shooting. As Chandel Weaver, along with Aaron Cash, have been able to combine for 17 points per game. They both shoot 41% for three-point range. Shamar Wilson should be able to do a nice job down low. 11 points, 8 rebounds, gives you a block per contest. Overall, UT Arlington does turn the ball for 14 times per game as a team that ranks in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. That is a little bit nightmarish, and even though the Grand Canyon defense has been unraveling a little bit, they still play at a relatively slow style, 253rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game, while Kyron Gibson for UT Arlington, 4 assists, of 1.2 steals, 11 points per game. He shoots 36.5% from three-point range. And then on the flip side for Grand Canyon, you do have Mr. Constant for this team and Rayshon Harrison. He has been able to do an absolutely amazing job of just being able to go out there night in and night out and give this team production as he has given the team 16-plus points in all but three of the team's games ever since Christmas. So he has really been able to do a nice job of night in and night out giving this team production 17.5 points, 3.3 assists per game. But he doesn't necessarily shoot it well for three. Now, you do have a pair of guys in Noah Bauman, coupled with Chance McMillan, who will be able to combine to shoot about 41.5% for three for Grand Canyon. McMillan gives you 10.5 points per game. Bauman chips in there seven points per contest. And then Yvonne Odoyogo down low. Good rim protector, right around 5.7 rebounds per game. Gabe McLaughlin is able to give you eight rebounds per game as well. But other than Odoyogo, along with McLaughlin, you don't have a single guy on the roster that gives you really north of 3.9 rebounds per game. I do think the UT Arlington going to do a good job of being able to rebound by committee. Grand Canyon is a team that plays relatively slowly. Defense has been unraveling on them. UT Arlington has been a nightmare on offense all season long. Last time these two teams played, UT Arlington got to just 48 points while committing 16 turnovers in that game. I don't think the Grand Canyon is going to be able to commit as many turnovers. And I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a grimy slog. And it feels like Grand Canyon has seen the light come on that they do need to play a little bit more defense. I did set my total at a 135. Right now, I'm seeing on the board a lot of 135s. We were seeing some 136s as well. If we get back to 136, I'm going to be one to dive under. The UT Arlington made them a some-point underdog, so we'll have to take eight with them. 617, 618 on the betting board. UT Rio Grande Valley and Tarleton State. 
Too bad out there at Michelob Ultra Arena and Tarleton State is a 7-7.5 point favorite with your total 146.5 with this Texas Grand Valley team. They're in the top 20 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. They were up and down with their tempo in late January, early February, but they are back to playing absolutely no defense whatsoever. In games against D1 competition, this UT Rio Grande Valley team has now given up at least 76 points in each of their last five games. They do have a dynamic score in Justin Johnson who's able to give you 20.5 points, 5 boards, 3 assists per contest, but he only shoots 30% from 3 in Grand Valley. One of the worst teams at holding on to the ball in all of college basketball. 16.1 turnovers per game. It is a Tarleton State team that they do a nice job of being able to manufacture seals as they rank in the top 12 nationally in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis, but you have no rebounding with this team. You've got one guy on the roster, Freddie Hicks, who's able to supply 15.5 points, 5.6 rebounds per game. That gives you north of 4 rebounds per game with Tarleton State. They do generate about 10 seals per contest, and they shoot as collective about 34% per three. You've got guys like Shakur Daniel, along with Shamir Bogues, that combine for about 17.5 points per game. They combine to shoot about 37% from, from three-point range. Skip to my Lou Williams, 11 points. He shoots 49% from three-point range, but it's a little bit of an all-or-nothing steals team as well with Tarleton State. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they rank right around 148th in the country, and they have not been the same team away from home, giving up 11.6 points more per one-hour possessions in a road-slash-shoot-to-court environment. And the last time these two teams played, Grand Valley went on the road. They got a 68-65 to win. They slowed themselves down a little bit more. They lost a turnover battle 16-10, to but they were able to win the rebound battle, and I do think that that's going to be very big in this fight. You've got Aaron Freeman along Dima Zidore. They combined for about 10.5 rebounds per game. Freeman is able to give you nine points per contest. Not a guy that really has any sort of stretch ability, but for the CT Rio Grande Valley bunch, I do think that they're going to be able to do a nice job down low, and they've got a good sharp shooter in Will Johnson as well. 14.5 points. He's able to bury about 44.5% of his threes. Last time these two teams played in late February as well, I was referencing the first matchup, second matchup, much more harebrained. 99 to 95. UT Rio Grande Valley on the home floor was able to win that one. Johnson went 7 of 13 from three-point range, while Tarleton State as a collective went 1 of 11. I certainly think that Tarleton State is going to go better than 1 of 11 from three, but Grand Valley won that game despite losing the turnover battle by 15 because they won the rebound battle 41 to 20. So you've got clear advantages and you've got clear disadvantages. Do I think that ET Rio Grande Valley is going to get a third straight win in the matchup? No, but I can't justify laying seven points because while Tarleton State is going to be able to force those turnovers, Grand Valley is going to do a better job on the glass. And I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be cranked up tempo. I did set my total at 147 half. I'm looking at the over. And with Tarleton State, can only make them a six half point favorite. So take the points with Grand Valley, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. Now we have my DK Nation pick, 619, 620 on the betting board. It is Utah Tech, and they're going to be playing against Stone Cold Steve Fawson. This is a game that opened up to. We've already seen a move to three with Steve Fawson being the favorite, and your total on scheme is able to 146 half and 148. I totally agree with the move, and even with the move, my write-up is going to be on Stone Cold Steve Fawson. I'm going to lay up to five with Steve Fawson. Personally, I set them as a five and a half point favorite. I feel like this line opened up low because with Steve Fawson in their last game, they were without a pair of guys that do see meaningful minutes in Sardinia Dine, a.k.a. Day Day Hall, along with Nana Ati Boasico. Both of those guys were out of the fold with Hall. Felt like that was a little bit more precautionary rest up for the WCC tournament. On Tio Boasico might legitimately miss this game, but even with that, Steve Fawson played against this Utah Tech team once, and in that one matchup, they were able to win by double figures, and they had 10 different guys play a double figure amount of minutes. So even if you're without a guy or two, Steve Fawson still has the advantage with regards to depth. 
Now, Sivra Fossa, they do turn the ball over 15 and a half times per game. That is a bottom 20 mark in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis. But Utah Tech, 339th in the country in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis. And Sivra Fossa, in terms of turnovers forced per possession on defense in a roadside shooter court environment, they force a turnover on 24% of possessions. Only Merrimack has a better percentage. And Sivra Fossa, they bury 38.6% of their threes overall. But in a roadside shooter court environment, only Xavier has a better three point shooting percentage. Stephen F. Austin away from home, shooting over 41% from three. Stephen F. Austin has played against this Utah Tech team twice since joining the WAC. They have won both of those games by a combined 43 points, including a double digit win earlier in the season on the road. I believe that was 85 to 72 for Utah Tech. This team is not necessarily great on the glass themselves. You've got Tanner Christensen. Gives you 10 points, 7 rebounds per game. And Jacob Nichols is able to bury threes. She's 50% from three. And Utah Tech, a solid three-point shooting team. They shoot 38.2% from three-point range. But this has a feel of bad matchup. Isaiah Pope, along with Cam Gooden, maybe they would combine for about 29.5 points per game for Utah Tech. They combine to shoot about 41.5% from three-point range. And they've got some versatility of their own and some depth. Frank Staney, along with Dedrick Letter. These two guys would be able to combine for about 14.7 boards. Noe Gonsolovis has been able to give you 9 points. She's 40% from 3-point range, but with Steven Afos and Latrell Jossel, 11.5 points. She's 42.5% from 3-point range. Roddy Ware, she's 38% from 3-point range. AJ Kajuse, 4.5 assists, steal and a half. She's 38.5% from three-point range with Stone Cold, Zivita Foss, and five separate guys to give you north of a steal per contest. This team is just so well-rounded. I think this is a horrible matchup for Utah Tech. Zivita Foss comes in in rough form. They lose that game against Utah Valley, but still, this is a Zivita Foss team that prior to that game, if you take a look at them, they were really batting down the hatches with their defense holding Sam Houston State to 64 points in an overtime game. They were able to get a nice, convincing double-figure win against Cal Baptist, and this is a Utah Tech team that in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They are outside the top 275. Most all or nothing seals teams like Steven F. Austin. They're not as good with their defense. But prior to that Utah Tech game where they played with darn near nobody of their main guys, they were in the top 100 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They're now 117th. But I do think that Steven F. Austin just going to be able to roll in this spot. My DKNH pick that is on Steven F. Austin laying the points. I also did something I told at 151.5. I do think that both teams are going to be able to go out, bury some three. So looking at the over at my DKNH pick, that is on Steven F. Austin. 621, 622 on the betting board. Ganesha and Mount St. Mary's, they are going to be playing from Atlantic City, New Jersey for the Metro Atlantic Tournament. The Mount and Canisius are in a pick'em game, and your total is between 137 and 138. I did set my total 134. I'm going to be willing to dive under in this spot. It is a Canisius team that, outside of the conference, they were a top 100 team in terms of total possessions per game, but in the Metro Atlantic, they have been throttled down. It's now in terms of total possessions per game. Canisius more around 162nd. Meanwhile, you've got a Mount St. Mary's team that they are not looking to push tempo whatsoever for the Mount. They rank right around 297th of the country in terms of total possessions per game, and I did set Mount St. Mary's as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it because with the Mount, they now have Malik Jefferson back in the fold. That is their main rebounder. He's been able to give the team 9 points, 7.3 rebounds per game, and then we've had George Tinsley be able to give you 7 points, 6 boards. He's got a little bit of versatility, but what is really going to be carrying the day 
For the Mount, that'd be their two guards and Jalen Benjamin along Dakota LeFew. They've been able to combine for 29 points and combine to shoot about 39% from three-point range with Benjamin. Give you 3.8 assists per contest. Now the Mount, 13.5 turnovers per game. That's a little bit unsightly. Canisius has been a little bit more efficient with their offense. 12.1 turnovers per game. They shoot 35% from three with Taj Tavoski. Long Jordan Henderson being able to combine for about 26.1 points, five assists, two seals per contest, but they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job on the glass. Yako Fritz along with Xavier Brawl Long, I've been able to get mine for about 11.5 rebounds per game. And Jameer Moultrie, a 38% three-point shooter. He's been a little bit banged up. He has not played since mid-February, so that has taken the wind out of the sails of Canisius just a little bit. Canisius comes in, having scored 66 points for fear in two of their last three games. Defense, honestly, is playing better. They've given up fewer than 70 points at each of their last three games. Meanwhile, you've got a Monte Mary's team that they were on a run where they had scored 65 points or fewer in 15 straight games. They've actually been able to get to 65-plus points and now seven out of their last eight games, so they do come in in a little bit of better form with regards to their defense, but this is still a slow-controlled team playing in a place in the Jim Whalen Boardwalk Hall that has never been conducive to necessarily a whole lot of scoring, and I do think that the Mount, they are going to be able to get there a little bit more of a slow, grimy style the last time these two teams played. It was 75-74. to 74. The Mount was able to get a win in a game where these two teams combined to shoot 20 out of 47 from three-point range. I don't think that that is going to be duplicating itself. It was a low-possession game, and teams just can shots. Meanwhile, the first time around, that was 64-60. to 60. The Mount was able to get the win. So, I do think that the Mount, they're just a little bit of a better team than Kadishas, but I do think that the shooting is going to be down from the last time these two teams played. So, by 12-134, diving under with the, with the Mount, set them as a two-point favorite, taking them on the pickup line to go along the under. 623-624 on the betting board. St. Peter's is going to be playing against Fairfield from Boardwalk Hall, and Fairfield is a two-and-a-half point favorite with your total 123.5 to 124. I set my total at a 119.5. I'm going to be one to go under. It's just a lot of sadness that's going on. I do recognize that Fairfield had a 92-point outburst last week. I mean, pigs were flying during that game. That was absolutely insane as Fairfield 320th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, St. Peter's, the old Peacocks there, 352nd in the country. And both of these teams do a fairly good job with their defense as well. Fairfield, 130th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, actually giving up a full point less per one hour possessions when they leave home. St. Peter's, they're only giving up right around 3.2 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. They're about 185th, but both of these teams just really can't shoot to save their lives. Fairfield has been shooting sub-30% from three-point range all season long. St. Peter's shoots 39% from the floor, 29.2% from three. Now, with St. Peter's, you've got perhaps the best guard tandem out there. Isaiah Jasher along Jalen Murray. These two guys have been able to combine for a little bit over 25 points per game. You've got Dasher, who shoots more around 31.5% from three. Murray gives you 2.3 assists, shoots 34.5% from the outside, but you don't have a single guy in the St. Peter's team that gives you north of five rebounds per game. You do have Mohamed Sal, Latrell Reed, along with Corey Washington, will give you between 4.3 and 4.9 rebounds per game, and Reed throws in there a steal, 3.7 assists per game, but I just have Fairfield as the 3.5 point favorite because they've got the Supreme Cook on their team, and his name is Supreme Cook, 13.3 points, 8.5 boards per game. Caleb Fields has been able to give you about 2.5 assists, 1.5 seals, 12 points per contest. 
You've been able to have Ellen, Gina, Rose be able to chip in their 10 points per game. Jake Wojcik, it's been a big, fat disappointment. But this Fairfield team has been able to do a nice job as a collective. You do have a St. Peter's team that has just not been able to supply a lot of offense in regulation because they played a game against Siena that went to overtime. That was a 67-67 game in regulation. They have exceeded 70 points, I believe, twice this calendar year for Fairfield. They take down Quinnipiac by a count of 92-82. to I do not expect much more of the same. This is a Fairfield team that has been held to 70 points or fewer in regulation because they have played their fair share of overtime as well. But in regulation, they've been held to 70 points or fewer in all but two of their games this calendar year as well. I think that you're in for a slow, grimy slog in this one, as a matter of fact. The last time these two teams matched up, you have to go all the way back to January. It was 56-52. I don't think it's going to be quite 56-52, but I certainly do think that you're going to be seeing a nice big giant brick fest in this game. Set by total 119.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under of Fairfield. I think that they do a better job with their defense. I'm going to be willing to lay the number to go along with this total under. 625-626 on the bidding board. Manhattan and Maris do battle from Boardwalk Hall. Manhattan is between a pick-up to a one-point favorite. And your total, it is between 133 and 134. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I set my total at a 130. Manhattan has been a very strange with their home and road splits as well. And really both of these teams with their defense has been as well. Just because less travel in the Metro Atlantic, that means that you're not going to have as much of a fall with regards to defense in my opinion. But both of these teams are giving up right around two in the case of Maris. Three and a half points fewer per one hour possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home. So Maris is 175th of the country in terms of point slot on a per possession basis. Manhattan is 230th, but both of these teams are in the top half of the country overall in terms of point slot on a per possession basis away from home. So, that's how I take a look at this. You've got a Maris team that does a top 30 job in the country in terms of opponents' two-point shooting percentage. They're in the bottom 40 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Patrick Gardner has been able to do a nice job of manning things on low for Maris. 18.5 points, six boards. He's able to shoot 36% for three. He's a nice little combo player, but don't have a lot of three-point shooting with Maris. They shoot as a whole about 32 0.4% from the outside. You have been able to get about 36.5% three-point shooting, 4.4 boards, 7.5 points per game. Uh, Javon Cooley and then Cam Ferris has been able to chip in there about 8 points per game. But other than Isaac Brickner has been able to give you about 2.5 assists per game. Not a lot of facilitation. Meanwhile, for Manhattan, they just need to not beat themselves. 13.6 turnovers per game. They shoot 66% at the free line, but they've got Josh Roberts who's able to take over the game down low. 1.8 blocks, 9.5 rebounds, 12 points per contest. Ant Nelson has been able to give you 15 points, 4.5 assists. Samir Stewart shoots 39% for the outside, 12.5 points, 3 assists per contest. You've got guys like a Nick Brennan who are able to give you 9 points per game. Marquise Watson has been able to supply about 8 points per contest as well. So you've got a lot of guys for Manhattan that are able to light it up. Meanwhile, for Maris, you just don't necessarily have that in the backcourt. It is a Manhattan team that has been able to play some little bit of better defense as well. 70 points or fewer surrendered in two out of their last three games and once again, they've been able to do a much better job when they've been away from home. Last time these two teams played on Manan's home floor Maris got the job done 81-58 to Maris in that game shot 12-26 of from three-point range and they saw a combined 16 turnovers in that game I do think that things are going to be significantly more sloppy in this game. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more tame and controlled so I did set my total at 130 I'm going to be one to dive under in the spot I do think that Manan is going to do a little bit more from the outside. I do think that Josh Roberts is going to be a match what Patrick Gardner does down low. So I'm going to take Manhattan in this spot. I set them as a two-point favorite and I'm going to be taking a look at the under as well. 627-628 on the betting board. This is the CAA final, which as I'm doing this podcast is a little bit TBD. We know that we're getting UNC Wilmington. It's all about whether or not we're getting Charleston or 
or Towson. I'm thinking that we're going to get Charleston, but you just never know with these matchups. But if it is Charleston versus UNC Wilmington, I'm setting Charleston as an 8.5 point favorite, so I'd be willing to lay up to 8 with them. 9 or more will be taking the points with UNC Wilmington with a total of 142.5. 142 or less will be looking at the over 143 or higher to the under. Charleston, just such a well-rounded team in that they've got nine different guys that all contribute. They turned the ball over 12 times for contests. They entered into yesterday a top 25 team in the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis and really a good team when they're in a roadside shoot record environment of being able to bear down with their defense. Meanwhile, they're going to be going up against the UNC Wilmington team that they themselves have been able to do a nice job staying within themselves. Entered into yesterday, 78th in the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis. Might have went up a little bit with what happened yesterday just because he had a wonky overtime game, but I do think that for Charleston, they should be able to take over the game, but they are a okay three-point shooting team. They're not a great three-point shooting team. They're not a terrible three-point shooting team. Uh, right around 34%. You've had Rain Smith be able to supply 10.5 points per game, and for Charleston, you've got five different guys. They give you 10.2 and 12.7 points per game with Ryan Larson being your main contributor, being able to chip in there as well as steal an half per game, and I'll throw this in here right now as well. If it is Towson, I'd be setting Towson as closer to about a four to four and a half point favorite, depending on how they do against Charleston. And if it would be Towson versus UNC Wilmington, that's a total that I'd be setting closer to about a 133-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. I'm going to mostly just feature Charleston for the rest of this, though, because with Charleston, I do think that they do a nice job of being able to match up with UNC Wilmington, and that paired it out last time these two teams played as Wilmington lost that game by kind of 93 to 61 but I do think that for UNC Wilmington they certainly would shoot in a rematch better than 4 of 20 from 3 point range like they did the last time around and much like Charleston UNC Wilmington is one of those oldest greater than some of its parts teams. Here's Arian White say we give you 14 points, 6 boards and then from there you've got a lot of good 3 point shooting. Malik Cardenas, Donovan Newby, these two guys combined for 17.5 points, combined to shoot about 37.5% from 3 point range. Amari Kelly, 7.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. Nick Farrar used to play at Charleston. She's 40 percent from three-part range. You've got good balanced contributions of this UNC Wilmington team. The Wilmington bunch has been letting up on defense a little bit more. That is a tad bit of an issue. They have given up north of 65 points and now three other last four games, but I do think that they'd be able to buckle down a little bit more in this circumstance, and I do think with this being just another game that these teams are having to play as they're going to be playing three-plus games in a row in consecutive days. That, that is taking a lot out of them. But Wilmington, I do think, is a little bit more able to overcome it just because they do have one of these slow styles in all of college basketball in the bottom 60 in terms of total possessions per game. So if it is Charleston versus Wilmington, saying Charleston has an 8.5 point favor, one will lay up to 8 with them, 9 or more taking the points with Wilmington with a total of 142.5, 142 or less, looking over 143 or higher to the under. If you get Towson, closer to 4 and a 4 and a half is what I'd be making Towson the favorite of. And we'll be saying that close, total right around 133 or so. 629, 630 on the betting board. We are going to be waiting on this matchup as well. It is the Horizon League final. This is going to be Northern Kentucky playing as either UW-Milwaukee or Cleveland State. Either way, Northern Kentucky is probably going to be a very, very slight favorite slash underdog in this circumstance against 
Cleveland State, I'd be setting this line right around two with Northern Kentucky being the favorite against UW-Milwaukee. Something very similar. I might be willing to go a half a point higher slash lower, but I do think that Northern Kentucky, either way, is going to be the better team in this circumstance. You've got Marquise Warwick, who's able to give you 19 points, three assists, shoots 40% from three-point range. If my DK and Asia pick comes through and UW-Milwaukee wins outright, it's going to be a big-time revenge spot as well as the last time these two teams played. You go back to late January, Northern Kentucky got up 20 points with about 15 minutes remaining in the second half and completely blew that game. And for Northern Kentucky, one thing that they do a relatively solid job of is having Zam Vincent be able to generate some seals. He's averaging 11.5 points, 3 assists, 2.5 seals per contest. Shoots 34% from 3 Northern Kentucky. 9.5 seals per contest despite being a team that in terms of possessions per 40 minutes, they're in the bottom 25 in all of college basketball. Cleveland State does certainly a less than savory job of hitting the defensive glass, but they are able to generate more turnovers than UW-Milwaukee, but at the same time, they don't have quite the same three-point shooting as well as UW-Milwaukee. As Cleveland State overall shooting about 30.5% for three, they take much better care of the ball. UW-Milwaukee right around 15.5 turnovers per game with Cleveland State about 11.5 turnovers per game, so it's very much a different style with regards to how both Cleveland State and UW-Milwaukee play, especially with UW-Milwaukee. UW-Milwaukee entered into yesterday 17th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. Cleveland State closer to 225th. So the biggest thing that would be changing is the total. If it's Cleveland State versus Northern Kentucky, that's a total I'd probably be setting right in the neighborhood about a 125, maybe a hair higher, maybe a hair lower against UW-Milwaukee. You're probably staring at a total that is going to be hovering right around 138, 139, somewhere in that neighborhood, depending upon if you get overtime or not. So... Certainly the total is going to be changing quite a bit. You're probably looking at a 13 to 14 point differential between Cleveland State and UW-Milwaukee. But either way, whichever team is drawn, Northern Kentucky should be a slight favorite. I'm thinking about two points in both of these circumstances. So that's where I'm standing on the Rising League final. Unfortunately, not able to give you as much of that because, well, that's very much a TBD matchup. So let's go on to something that I'm able to give you a little bit more on. 631, 632 on the betting board. This is out there in the big sky as it is Northern Arizona and they're going to be taking on Montana. I'm doing this just after Montana was able to survive in advance. So no numbers up on this game as this is going to be a contest played out there in Boise, Idaho. But that said, I did say Montana is a five and a half point favorite. I'm willing to lay up to five with them. Six or more taking the points with Northern Arizona. Last time these two teams played, Montana played a nip and tuck game in which they won by one point. So I do think that Montana is going to be able to have a little bit more success in this circumstance and for Montana. They've really been able to do a better job with their defense recently. They give up 74 points against Idaho State yesterday, but I mean, a lot of that came in the final minutes when there was a lot of late game felling. This Montana team has given up 70 points or fewer in all but three of their games this calendar year. Much of that just due to the fact that Montana does play so slowly. They're in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. If you look at the actual efficiency numbers, Montana turns points a lot on a per possession basis. They're clocking in 255th and they do give up a little bit over 11 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home, but Northern Arizona 320th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis on both of these teams. They are a little bit top-heavy. Aiden Mooney, Josh Bannon entered into yesterday for Montana, averaging 31.1 points per contest. Bannon 
eight and a half boards, three and a half assists, shooting 42.5% from three. And I will say for Montana, each of your top three scores, do shoot at least 37% from three. Deshaun Thomas gives you 11 points, four and a half boards, and then Aiden Moody. He's been very moody with the way that he's been taking it out on team. 16 points, shoots 42% from three. Power range at Montana only turns the ball over 11 times per game. They really don't force the issue with regards to being able to get a lot of turnovers, so that'll work out well for a Northern Arizona team that they themselves don't force a lot of steals. Between the two teams, you get about five steals per contest on both sides. Northern Arizona has Jalen Cohn, who's able to give you 17 and points, two and a half assists. She's nearly 40% per three. Carson Tout, he's been a very versatile player. 9.8 points, 7.8 boards, a little bit over three assists as a six to seven, little bit of a combo player. Nick Maines, he's someone that stands right around six foot eight. He buries 37.5% of his threes. Northern Arizona only turns the ball over about 11 times per contest. Northern Arizona, a little bit more of a mid-tempo team that has been really lacking with their defenses. They have given up at least 76 points in each of their last four games, but they do enter having won four of their last five. Offense has been on fire. Meanwhile, other than really what we saw in the game yesterday, Montana has been able to do a pretty rock-solid job with their defense, and I should say, in terms of the points given up, 72 points or fewer in all but three of their games thus far this calendar year, but last time these two teams played, neither team was able to really get past 66 in that spot, and I do think that Montana is going to be able to dictate the tempo a little bit more in this game, much like they did the first time around. Now, Montana needed to shoot 11-23 from three-point range to get it done the first time, and they lost the rebound battle. I do think that they're going to be able to do a little bit better in that spot, so I did set my number at a 5.5. I'm willing to lay up to 5 with Montana, 6 or more taking the points with Northern Arizona, and maybe my total 137.5, 137 or less, looking over 138 or higher, going to be taking a look at the under. 633, 634. This is another one that I really do have to project forward on because we know that we're going to be getting Montana State. I'm doing this before tip-off of Sacramento State and Weber State, a game that's going to be wrapping up at like 10 o'clock p.m. Pacific time, so that makes it a little bit of a nightmare. Fortunately, the total should be relatively similar. I set it pretty much in between about a 128.5 to a 129.5, depending upon which team gets in. We've got a pair of teams in Sacramento State and Weber State that are both in the bottom runner in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Weber State is a little bit faster than Sacramento State, but Sacramento State likes a little bit more on defense, and both of these teams have different skill sets. You've got Dylan Jones, who's pretty much Mr. Dude all for Weber State. 16.5 points, 11 boards, 3.8 assists per contest, and then you add Steven Replankin for Weber State, who's able to give you right around 12.5 points. She's 40% for three Sacramento State. As well, they do have some solid three-point shooters. Zach Chappell's been able to give you 13.5 points. She's 35.5% for three. G&I Hunt, along with Hunter Marks, they combine to shoot about 36% from three-point range. Hunt is able to give you seven points, three assists per contest, and Cal McCray. He gives you nine boards as a seven-footer down low, but Sacramento State actually in the bottom one earner in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis. So Montana State, I set them as a seven-point favorite if they do go up against Weber State, more of an eight-point favorite against Sacramento State. That might vary by half a point depending upon what we see in the game itself on Monday, but that's where I'm leading right now because it is Montana State team that I think they are the best team remaining in this Big Sky Conference Tournament and with Montana State. They've been able to do a really good job with their defense. They've got one of the best low post defenders at a mid-major level in Jabriah Bell who's been able to supply 13 points, 6 boards, block per contest. The numbers don't really do it justice in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Montana State, 85th in the country and you've got Raekwon Battle is a nice takeover score for 
for the team, giving you 17 points per contest. Darius Brown, the second, has been able to dole up 4.8 assists, nearly two steals, shoots 40% for three, and that's a big reason why Montana State is only turning the ball over right around 11.6 times per game. Montana State is a little bit of a slower team, but they don't necessarily play at a snail's pace. 244th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. When they're away from home, they do play at about two and a half possessions faster as well. Maybe they'll have guys like a great Osabor be able to chip in their 10 points in the neighborhood about four and a half rebounds per game. Caleb Fuller is someone I do like. His three-point shooting has been down this year. Last year, he had more like 12 points per contest this year, down to seven, but he's been a good on-ball defender as well. So regardless of which team gets in, I'm leaning towards right around a 129 in terms of the total. I'd be setting this line closer to seven for Weber's sake, closer to eight with Sacramento State. Depends a little bit upon the matchup, but that's where I'm leaning on the big sky final. And then we've got 635, 636. This is the Summit League final that is going to be out there in the great state of South Dakota. We know that we're going to be getting Oral Roberts. As I record this, South Dakota State is in the lead in this game, and I'd be a little bit surprised if we do not get South Dakota State, so I'm going to be handicapping as if we are going to be getting South Dakota State, and if we do get this matchup, I will be setting Oral Roberts as between about an 8.5 to a 9-point favorite in this circumstance. Oral Roberts got their scare against St. Thomas, and I do think that they are going to be able to stabilize things. If they do go up against South Dakota State, it will be a little bit of a rematch of a matchup that we saw in very late February in which it was very close. Oral Roberts, they went on the road. They won that game 69-65, to a game where they won the turnover battle 15-7, to but they actually lost the rebound battle. Zeke Mayo was able to have a double-double in that game, and that is the biggest fear that you do have if South Dakota State does get the matchup against Oral Roberts as Zeke Mayo has been amazing. 18 points, 6 boards, 3.5 assists, shooting 37% for 3. And South Dakota State has been a little bit better on defense this year than they were a season ago. Last year when they entered into the NCAA tournament, they were outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is a South Dakota State team that entering into the action Monday night, they were ranked right around 160th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 3.5 points fewer per 100 possessions when they have been in a road slash shoot record environment rather than when they have it at home and that was a spot where you saw that total place at about a 150. I'd be setting my total more around about a 147.5, 148 if you do get Oral Roberts versus South Dakota State. It's South Dakota State team that has been able to get a little bit more three-point shooting as the season has went along with Alex Arians Charlie easily being out due to injury. But for Oral Roberts, you've got so many weapons and so many ways to be able to win entering into yesterday. Each out of your top seven scores were all shooting at least 34.6% for three and the only one shooting below 35.9%. Connor Vanover is 7 foot 5, giving you 12.8 points, 7 boards, 3 plus blocks per contest. Max Aismas, he's the headline guy with 22 points per game, but then you've got so many guys like Patrick Mwamba along with Kareem Thompson that are able to combine for about 11 rebounds per game. Carlos Jurgens, 9.5 points, 4 boards, 3.5 assists per game. Makes up a tough matchup. If they do go up against North Dakota State, this is certainly going to be a double figure line. I'd be thinking probably in the neighborhood of about. I would say maybe about 12-ish is what I'd be thinking. Might be a little bit lower, might be a little bit higher, but I do think that this will be a little bit of a rough matchup for a North Dakota State team that you can tell they're trying to get back to the roots, playing a little bit more slowly. They were trying to speed up their tempo towards the beginning part of the season. Not so savory on that 
front, though they're going to be able to match up a little bit better with Connor Vanover than South Dakota State would with Grant Nelson. He had 24 points, 12 rebounds last time. Played against Oral Roberts overall for the year, averaging 18 points, 9 boards, and is a little bit of a six foot eleven combo player. And Bonin Gunberg has really been able to come on for this North Dakota State team. He's been able to give the team 14.5 points, but that's a total I'd be setting a little bit closer to about a 150 or so, because with North Dakota State, while they are a team that has been looking to slow down recently, they're still 282nd in the country. There's a point allowed on a per possession basis and the last time these two teams played. Oral Roberts was held at 74 points in that game, but they also shot 10 of 35 for three-point range. I would anticipate that being significantly higher. So, if Oral Roberts is facing off against South Dakota State, it will be a line in which I'd be setting closer to about 8, 8.5, somewhere in that neighborhood with a total of about 147.5. Might be leaning a little bit more towards 9. Probably closer to double figures, more in that neighborhood, about 11 to 12 against North Dakota State with a total hovering right around 150. 637, 638 on the betting board. It is St. Mary's, and they're going to be playing against Gonzaga. There is no numbers up on this game, and I'm having to project forward, so if for some reason we get something other than St. Mary's versus Gonzaga, this is going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRDarnSquarty1, and, well, obviously I'd be feeling like a complete moron, like... If BYU is able to get by St. Mary's, I'd be setting Gonzaga as an eight-point favorite. If we get a complete board breakdown of BYU versus San Francisco, well, good luck there. I'd probably be setting BYU as some sort of a mid-sized favorite in that regard. And then my total, that'll be based on what we see Monday night. But assuming we get St. Mary's versus Gonzaga, I set St. Mary's as a two-point favorite. I did make my total 138, subject to a little bit of change based on what we see on Monday. This one's a little bit more tricky since these West Coast Conference games are so late and I've got the Greg Peterson experience to do, but taking a look at the two times that these teams played, Gonzaga was the better team really in both of those games. They did lose in Moraga in overtime, but I do think that St. Mary's is going to be able to buckle down and I think that both of these teams are very well coached, but I do think that Randy Bennett is a little bit more of a solid practitioner and I do think that this sort of an environment, it lends itself very well to him because I do think that he's going to be able to do a good job buckle down, really be able to spot where things went right slash wrong the first few times that they played against Gonzaga, and St. Mary's always gets their slow and grimy style against Gonzaga. It's just whether or not Gonzaga is able to hit those shots. St. Mary's is in the bottom 20 in terms of total possessions per game per 40 minutes. You've got Ada Mahaney, Alex Dusas were able to combine for 27 points per game. They're shooting a combined a little bit north of 40% for three-point range. Logan Johnson has been very terrific. He just stuffs the sad cheap five rebounds, three and a half assists, steal and a half, 14 and a half points per contest. And what I like about the St. Mary's team and what I think is very critical, they do a good job of being able to defend in the post against your Timmy. Timmy is still going to be able to get his. He's been able to average 21.7 rebounds, but they will still win the battle overall because Drew Timmy could put up 15 points, but you'll have someone like Mitchell Saxon who's able to give you right around 12 and a half points, eight rebounds per game, and he's going to be able to dominate on his side of things as well. And for the St. Mary's team, in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, they have been one of the better teams at all of college basketball. Meanwhile, Gonzaga, they are 245th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. St. Mary's more around 75th, but they're allowing opponents to shoot just 31.9% when they leave home. They've honestly been a little bit worse with their opponents' three-point shooting percentage when they have it at home. So that's a good sign for St. Mary's. I do like the way that they've been able to get a little bit of production off the bench as well from someone like Josh Jefferson as well. In the last game that these two teams played, he came in off the bench 
bench. He had nine points. He's become a little bit more of a contributor. Meanwhile, for Gonzaga, they're getting a little bit more bench production out of Malachi Smith, who's now shooting right around 49.5% for three and a half points per contest. You know what Rashir Bolton, Julian Strother are going to be able to do. They combined to shoot about 41.5% from the outside. Strother, 15.6 rebounds per game. And Timmy, he's still Drew Timmy. But I do think that for St. Mary's, they're going to be able to do a nice job forcing Gonzaga into a few turnovers. Gonzaga's been really good at taking care of the ball recently. And even in the last game that these two teams played, they had just seven turnovers in that game. St. Mary's, they lost the rebound battle by kind of 29 to 25. But St. Mary's, they still got their slow, grimy style. St. Mary's always knows how to get that against Gonzaga. And I think that that is going to be the biggest key in this game. And with both of these teams having a little bit of a lather the day before, I do like St. Mary's in the spot, setting them as a two-point favorite. Made my total 138, so 137.5 or less. Going to be taking a look at this total over 138.5 or higher to the under end. Only way it wouldn't be taking St. Mary's is if they're north of a two-point favorite, which would be too very shocking. And once again, if we get something like BYU versus Gonzaga, Gonzaga would probably be about, I would say, about a nine-point favorite off the top of my head against BYU. I would need to do a little bit more of a deep dive in. Would be rather shocking if we see something other than St. Mary's versus Gonzaga. Let's call it what it is. As Now let's move to the Big West tournament out here in Henderson, Las Vegas at the Dollar Loan Center. 639-640 on the betting board. CSUN, Cal State Northridge is taking on Cal State Bakersfield. Beat me for the Roadrunners. Or a one and a half to a two-point favorite. Your total on this game is 123 to 123.5. Did somebody total at 124.5. Now, you're dealing with two teams that are very, very slow. They're both in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. Bakersfield, a bottom 35 team in terms of total possessions per game. But for Bakersfield, have been held down their last two games to 61 points or fewer. But in the month of February, they had themselves a really nice run where they were able to get to at least 68 points in seven out of their eight games. So this is a Bakersfield team that towards the back half of the season, they've been a little bit more rock solid with their offense. They've been missing Caleb Higgins throughout all of conference play, but Antavion Calm has really stepped up for the team. Right around 13 points, five rebounds per contest. He has been able to give the team double figures in all but one of the team's last 12 contests. So I like what he's bringing to the table. They've been without Modestus Concreles. They're really their top rebounder, but they've had Cameron Smith be able to hold it down. Eight and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game, and that has led to a little bit of a deterioration with regards to their defense. But I want to talk about a deterioration with regards to defense. How about Cal State Northridge, a team that they look to play super slow, super grimy, but they're 276th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, the one thing I will say is that they're giving up 1.2 points fewer per one-arm possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home as Aiton Wright. He's been able to do a nice job. He's supplying 17 points, 1.3 steals, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range for a CSUN team that overall, they turn the ball for 12 and a half times per game. They've got Deontay Bosick, Deshaun Allen Eikens, who've been able to do a good job supplying a combined about 23 and a half points per game. But Bostic, he is still on the fold for this team, so he is probably going to be out once again. Missed pretty much all of the month of February, so they've been trying to mix and match from there as you've got Felias Okereke. He's been able to give the team right around five rebounds per game, but he's not too much of a score for CSUN. It's just been really sad because they have not been able to really put the ball in the basket. 64 points or fewer in three out of the last five games, and we've seen this defense really diminish with them. They have given up now at least 75 points in four out of their last five games. The only exception is when they knocked off Cal State Bakersfield in a 75-68 to 68 game, which is why I just really don't understand the total in this spot. I recognize that both of these teams are slow, but they're not really playing 
Very good defense. When it comes to Bakersfield, because of all the injuries, they're down to about 174th of the country in terms of points allotted per possession basis to their credit. They've been giving up two points fewer per one hour possessions when they leave home, but also getting a little bit more production out of Marvin McGee as well as he's been able to do a nice job, give the team eight plus points in four of the team's last five games. Shoots 41% from three with CSUN. I don't think that they're going to be able to do a whole heck of a lot on offense, but I also think that their defense is going to be quite leaky in this game, and I do think that Cal State Bakersfield is going to be getting revenge for the last time these two teams played when CSUN was able to get that 75 to 68 win in that game. You saw CSUN go 9 of 15 from three-point range and chop 50% from the floor. Don't think that that's going to duplicate itself. Bakersfield won the turnover battle 20 to 6. If they continue to do that, they should be able to get the job done. So Bakersfield is a two and a half point favorite. Going to be willing to lay the number. I also think that you might be in for some late game felling if this game is close to 7 by 12, 124 and a half. Also looking at the over. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra game. 641, 642. It is Cal Poly. They're going to be playing against Long Beach State. Long Beach State is a 9.5 to a 10-point favorite in your total. That is 136.5, and I did set this number at 9. I'm going to be willing to take 9.5 to 10 with Cal Poly. Now, Cal Poly is coming in on an almighty slide. This team has lost 18 straight games, but you take a look at them, and they've been rather competitive. In their last five losses, they have lost by eight or fewer in four of them, and this team just is not really getting blown out at all. I mean, in their two games against UC Irvine, they were by a combined three points. Cal Poly is actually able play some defense. Problem has been the offense. You've got Elamami Karama along with Brantley Stevenson who combined for 21.1 points per contest. Karama at 6'8", he's able to shoot 33% for three, but Cal Poly, a bottom 40 team in terms of total possessions per game. They shoot 29% from three. They turn the ball for 13.8 times per contest. That is just cause for a doomsday scenario for them, but this Long Beach State team is a bottom 30 team themselves in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Long Beach State is the complete opposite and that they are eighth in the country in terms of total possessions per game, so you've got a tempo war that is going to be breaking out, and it is a Long Beach State team that does a solid job on the glass. Cal Poly, right around 149th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and Long Beach State, they're 129th, so both of these teams are actually pretty similar in terms of their overall efficiency. Long Beach State does it much more on the glass, so with the Trayers and Abadur Trayer, give you 10 points, 9 boards, right around 3.5 assists per contest. He's got versatility. Lasani Trayer, he's more down low, 13 points, 10.6 rebounds per game, and you do have Marcus Sion was able to give you 14.5 points per game, but when shoots 27.5% for three in Long Beach State, they turn the ball over 14 times per game. They shoot 29.8% from three-point range. They're good on the inside, but on the outside, they don't necessarily do a whole lot of water. I do think that Cal Poly is going to be able to hold in this game. Cal Poly is going to be able to lose the battle on the glass, but I think that they can win the battle along the perimeter, force Long Beach State into some turnovers. Last time these two teams played, it was a 70-52, to a little bit of a slobber knocker in January that Long Beach State was able to pull out. In that game, Cal Poly shot 2 of 21 from 3. I certainly think that Cal Poly is a bad 3-point shooting team. I don't think that they're quite that bad. I do think that that should iron out a little bit, causing for a little bit more of a close game, and I do think that things are going to be rather slow and grimy. I do think the Cal Poly gets their tempo set by total 135, diving under, and will take 9.5 plus with Cal Poly. Now let's hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-557, 306-558. It is McNeese.
McNeese State, and they are going to be playing against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, doing this just after McNeese State was able to survive and advance in the Southland Tournament. So this is a game that is presently off the board, but I said Corpus Christi as a 10-point favorite. Actually, I made it a 10.5-point line. I'm willing to lay up to 10 with Texas A&M Corpus Christi, so I would need 11 or more to be able to take a shot at McNeese State. You give McNeese State credit for being able to battle it out in a pair of last-second games. And for McNeese State... They are building up their offense, 75 plus points in each of the last five games and in seven out of the team's last eight, but this is still a McNeese State team that they are really the slowest team out there in the Southland for one. They shoot about 32.5% from three. They turn the ball over 14.3 times per game. Christian Schulmate, he's rock solid, 14.5 points, 9.5 rebounds per game, and then you got Trey English along with Zach Scott wintering in yesterday, combining for about 23 points per game, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range, but McNeese State in that game against Sickles, they had to shoot 54% from the floor to get it done. They had 23 turnovers in that game, and Texas A&M Corpus Christi is pretty much nickels on steroids with the way that they're able to force turnovers. They're a top 25 team in the country in terms of steals force on a per-possession basis, and they're just a better all-around defense. With nickels, they entered into yesterday in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, playing in a similar style right around 212th in the country. Texas A&M Corpus Christi, they're more around 162nd, and for Corpus Christi, they're going to have the best player out there on the floor in Isaac Mushala, who has been able to give you 15 points, 9.8 rebounds, shoots 39 and a half percent from three, and then you've got a 41% three-point shooter and Travion Tennyson, who's been able to supply about 15.8 points per contest. Between Mushala and Terry and Mardu, a combined 3.8 steals per game. You've been able to get about a steal and a half, six and a half points per contest out of Jalen Jackson. So you've got so much good versatility with this Corpus Christi team. Down low, you've got someone at Dave Lazarius Keys who's able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. And the last time these two teams played, it was just a completed utter dump trucking. That's the one game in which McNeese State did not get to 75 points in this recent run, 77 to 54. Texas A&M Corpus Christi completely held down McNeese State in that game. I think that this is a terrible matchup. McNeese State in that game actually won the turnover battle 14 to 13, but the problem is, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. They just do everything better than Nichols does and they had a tough time holding on to the ball against Nichols. I think that this is going to be a bad matchup at Texas A&M Corpus Christi is going to be able to turn defense into offense. Said Corpus Christi is a 10 and a half point favorite. One to lay up to 10 with them. 11 or more. Take the points with McNeese. Set by 12 146 half. So 146 or less looking at the over 147 or higher to the under. 3-6-5-59. Northwestern State is going to be playing as the winner of Southeast Louisiana and New Orleans. I am thinking it's going to be Southeast Louisiana. If New Orleans does survive in advance, Northwestern State is going to be around a 10 to a 10 and a half point favorite. And New Orleans is a team that pretty much leads off college basketball in terms of turnovers per game. So that'd be a total that I'd be setting right around 152. But assuming that we do get Southeast Louisiana, I set Northwestern State as a five and a half point favorite. One would lay up to five with them. Six or more would be taking the points with Southeast Louisiana and set a total of 147 and a half. 147 or less looking over 148 or higher to the under for Southeast Louisiana. They've honestly done a good job of taking care of the ball. 12 turnovers per game. They shoot as a collective 37% for three. Big reason why they're one of the top over teams at all of college basketball. They take care of the ball and they rank outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, we've got an Northwestern State team that in a conference where no defense is played and everyone focuses on offense, they've been really your best defense in the conference, 196th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I know it doesn't sound like much, but Northwestern State all season long has been able to do a good job 
job. He'll be able to give you some good effort. Boogie Anderson on the flip side for Southeast Louisiana. He is able to give you right around 14 points per contest. They've got Nick Caldwell, who's able to shoot right around 40% per three, five boards, double figure amount of points. But for this Northwestern State team, they come in having allowed 68 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. Now, the last time these two teams played, things got a little bit harebrained. Northwestern State knocked off Southeast Louisiana by a count of 81 to 76, despite the fact that Southeast Louisiana went 7 to 15 from three point range. They were able to have Alec Woodyard in that game do a relatively solid job overall for the season. He's been averaging right around 8.5 points per game, but seems to be hitting the throttle at the right time. Nine plus points entering into yesterday and four out of the team's last five games. But you've got for Northwestern State, regardless of whether they play against New Orleans or if they play against Southeast Louisiana, and for the very minimum, three of the top four players out there on the floor. As for New Orleans, if they do draw them, Jordan Johnson has been shooting 49% for three, 17 points per game. That's the only reason why they wouldn't be north of a 12-point underdog. But that said, for Northwestern State, you've got Asa Caney, who's able to give you 11 points, two and a half assists, one and a half seals per contest. DeMarcus Sharp, Javonta Black, they combine for three seals. Black is able to give you 15 and a half points per game, shoots 37% for three, and Sharp, 18 and a half points, and he shoots 56 percent from three-point range. I recognize he's not taking 10 threes per game. He's taking about 1.6 per contest, but that's still relatively insane. And then Jalen Hampton down low, he gives you seven boards, 10 points per contest. You've got someone in Dane Prim who's been able to give you about six points per contest. It's a Northwestern State team that only turns the ball over 12 times per game, but they generate about eight and a half steals per game. I really like this Northwestern team once again. Against New Orleans, they're probably going to be about a 10 to an 11 point favorite somewhere in that neighborhood, but assuming we get Southeast Louisiana, set Northwestern State as a five and a half point favorite, one to late to five with the Demons. Six or more taking the points with Southeast Louisiana made by total 147 and a half, so 147 or less looking over 148 or higher to the under. Now we go to more set matchups. 306 561 306 562. New Hampshire and UMass Lowell do bad. UMass Lowell, the home team, is a 11.5 point favorite. And your total on this game, it is 137. And I said New Hampshire is a 9.5 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take the points. These two teams actually split during the regular season. But the reason why we've got such a demonstrative line is because last time these two teams played, New Hampshire got completely dump truck. That was a 92 to 55 game. I mean, New Hampshire just couldn't find the bottom of the basket on that night. They shot 39% from the floor, 521 from three point range. UMass Lowell just completely had their way in every facet of basketball as the turnover battle was lost by New Hampshire by kind of 17 to four. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of reversal in this game. UMass Lowell overall for the season right around 13 after turnovers per game compared to New Hampshire was at 9.8 per contest. And Clarence O'Daniels is one of the most versatile players that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Six foot six, 15 and a half points, 7.8 boards, shoots 39% from three point range. He has put up at least 10 rebounds in three out of the team's last four games. He does a good job of being able to generate some steals as well. And then behind him, you've got a pair of guys in Kyrie Brown along Nick Johnson who've been able to combine for 23 points per game. With Brown, he's been able to do a nice job doling out 3.8 assists at two turnovers per game. Johnson shoots 38% from three-point range. New Hampshire as a whole, they only shoot about 39.5% from the floor, but they shoot nearly 35% from three-point range. UMass Lowell should be able to control the glass in this one. You've got Abdul Kareem Kulabali who comes in for Pittsburgh, 11.8 points, 7.8 rebounds per game, and then former All-AEC defensive player Max Brooks, he's been able to supply you with 1.8 blocks, 8.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, but those turnovers are a little bit of an issue for a UMass little team that they do shoot 38% from three-point range, but I do think that New Hampshire is going to be able to hold up at the point of attack with their defense as well. They're about 165th of the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis, giving up 2.4 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home, and it is a UMass little team that they're 44th first in the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis, so they do a nice job there. Everett Hammond, 13.5 points. She's 45% from three-point range. 
You've got Ayindi Akeem doing a nice job, doling out 3.8 assists, a little bit over a steal per contest, but I do think that New Hampshire is going to look a little bit more like the team that we saw the first time around rather than the second time around. First matchup, New Hampshire won by kind of 69 to 64 in that game. New Hampshire was able to win the turnover battle by kind of 14 to 12. I do think that things are going to iron out a little bit more in this circumstance. I do still think that this is a UMass old team that has a better team, but I can't justify laying double figures. Semi-total at 135 and a half. I'm diving under with New Hampshire being a bottom 75 team in terms of total possessions per game and UMass low being so efficient with their defense and with UMass low set them as a nine and a half point favorite. So also taking the points with New Hampshire. 306, 563, 306, 564. Vermont plays host to Binghamton. Binghamton is a 14.0 underdog with your total 137.5. Semi line at 12. I'm going to be one to take the points with Binghamton. Binghamton has really been able to do a better job with their defense and what I want to see a little bit more from this Binghamton team is give their big man more minutes. Okiole Aquovo. Hopefully I said that correctly. This man has been averaging right around four points, four boards per contest, but when he's gotten north of 20 minutes. He has put up 12 plus rebounds in each of the last two times that he's been able to do so. They only gave him nine minutes in that game against UMBC. I do think that he should be in line for a little bit more work in this game. You've got a big empty team that has a pair of guys in Armand Reed along Jacob Falco that will be combined for about 25.8 points per contest. Not a great three-point shooting team with Binghamton. They turn the ball for 13 times per contest. They shoot only about 31.8% from three-point range. They're a little bit more of a control team. I have your 363 D1 teams. Binghamton, 203rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So they'll feel right at home against Vermont. 306th in the country in terms of possessions per game is Vermont. Vermont has been one of the most efficient offenses in the country. They turn the ball over fewer than 10 times for contest. They do certainly have some good three-point shooting as Aaron Delani has been able to supply a lot of that. 11.5 points, two assists, shoots 41.5% from three as Vermont as whole. They shoot 36% from three-point range. You've got Dylan Penn, Finn Sullivan combined for 25 points per contest. I just feel like this Vermont team is still leaving something to be desired on defense though. Vermont, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, I recognize they played a tough non-conference, but they're still 145th with this regard. Not that Binghamton is necessarily going to be making like the 68 Jets or anything like that, but they're 257th in the country, but they've honestly been significantly better, Binghamton has, on the defensive side of things, as Binghamton has allowed 71 points or fewer in each other their last three games, and two of those games went to overtime, so, I mean, they're playing extra minutes, and they're still holding up on the defensive side of things, Meanwhile, they've been able to get to at least 67 points in each of their last five games. This is a Vermont team that they themselves have given up at least 66 points in three of their last five games. Last time these two teams played, it was 81-70. to I don't think that you're going to see Vermont shoot quite the way that they did the last time around against Binghamton. I recognize that the offense is getting in rhythm, but Vermont shot 8 of 13 from three-point range. They shot 57% from the floor on nine turnovers. Binghamton, they themselves shot 9 of 18 from three-point range. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more tame this time around. It's going to be a lower possession game, so I did semi-12 at 136, diving under, but I think that Binghamton going to be able to do an okay job on the glass. You've got Robin Duncan, who does a little bit of everything for Vermont. That's going to be tough for Binghamton to match up with 8.7.3 rebounds, 4.4 assists per contest. Last time these two teams played, he only had four points, but he chipped in there. Six assists, nine rebounds, had just one turnover in that game, but I do think the Binghamton going to be able to do enough on the glass to be able to hold in there. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Binghamton. Semi-12 136, the diving under it. We wrap things up with 306-565, 306-566. Merrimick is going to be playing us to Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson is a 3.5-point underdog. Tolan's game is between 138 and 138.5. 
Just such an interesting motivational matchup because Fairly Dickinson has already punched her ticket to the NCAA tournament. I don't think that there's going to be any shortage of motivation in this spot for them, though. For Merrimick, this means everything because they should be having a chance to be able to go to the NCAA tournament, but the NCAA is archaic, and they've got this absolutely boneheaded rule where you have to be in college basketball Division One level for north of three years before you're eligible for the NCAA tournament. I mean, what advantage does the team have going from the D2 level to the D1 level? I mean, if anything, these teams should be celebrated, but I mean, that's the NCAA. NCAA for you, but that said, let's take a look at the actual game itself before I get very angry, and Jordan Miner he has been major for Merrimack. 17.5 points, 9.5 boards. He's been able to do an amazing job of being able to help out a Merrimack team that's won the tops in all of college basketball in terms of turnover scores on a per-possession basis as Merrimack. Each of their top five scores give you at least 1.1 steals per game, and four of them give you at least 1.4. They average as a collective 11.4 steals per contest. They do such a good job of turning their defense into offense. They only shoot about 32% from three-point range at Merrimack. Not a team that's going to be sped up. They're outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, Fairley Dickinson, they are a team that they are going to be looking to push tempo. Fairley Dickinson, one of the best teams at being able to control the ball in the NEC. They rank 98th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and yet despite that, they only turn the ball over 11.5 times per contest. You've got Tamari Roberts, Grant Singleton, combining for about 32 points per game. Singleton has been able to shoot 38.5% from three-point range at each of your top three scores for Fairley Dickinson. All guys that average at least 14 points per game with Ansley Elmore being able to give you 14 points, four and a half boards. They all shoot at least 80.5% at the free throw line. So that's a big advantage for this team. But I do think that Merrimack going to be able to do a good job of getting their style. It's a Merrimack team that has been one of the best defenses in all of college basketball, really. I mean, out of conference, things were not looking so savory for them. In conference, they've been a top 25 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. If you take the entirety of the season, Merrimack is currently clocking in 27th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got a fairly Dickinson team that they certainly have been giving up the points here and first in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And the last time these two teams played, you have to go all the way back to January. And that was really the one slip-up that Merrimack had in conference as Fairleigh Dickinson won that game by a count of 78 to 71. And Fairleigh Dickinson in that game shot 54% from the floor, 10 to 22 from three, overcoming 41 turnovers in that game. And Fairleigh Dickinson won the battle on the glass. I think that Merrimack going to be able to do a better job on the glass in this one. I do think that this is going to be a game that gets throttled down a little bit more as Fairleigh Dickinson has been playing a little bit better defense as well, giving up fewer than 70 points in three of their last five games. With this Merrimack bunch, I have given up six or fewer in four of their last five games. I set my total 135. I'm diving under with Merrimack. Set them as a five-point favorite. I think they get their revenge. I think that they get this conference tournament title. So I'm willing to lay it with Merrimack, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and that will wrap things up. For the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, a big thanks to Isabel Gonzalez, who does great work over at CBS Sports. She joined me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gnet underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, I mean, does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way, that's fine, an Apple Podcast review. If you're at this podcast, five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You are able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm going to be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.